companies should ask themselves the question, okay, so we do not have any minority person qualified, because that is the typical answer. We are not in promoting females, blacks, uh, foreigners, because they are not competent enough. Then the next question is, well, what do we need to do to make sure they are competent? Because in theory, we should all increase our competence in the same, you know, average. If we are talking about the average person, should increase their competence in the same way. And if you see that there is a discrepancy, then there is a problem. And again, uh, Six Sigma, uh, process excellence, you have two processes. One works better than the other, while in theory they should work the same. You make a gap analysis. You see what you need to do to bring the lagging process up to the to the upper to the gold standard one. Hello, my friends. I'm your host Victor Rampadrat. Welcome to the show where we share the lived experiences of ordinary people just like you. We're amplifying your voice to provide a different perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Our goal is simple. Humanize DEI so we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect. Today we have our first guest from our open casting call. I'm excited to be speaking with Suzanne Sven's daughter. She's a PhD in engineering with innovation awards from Rolls-Royce and General Electric, as well as an MBA. She's also a huge advocate for inclusion and belonging in the workplace and believes it has a direct cost for companies. As a process excellence specialist, we'll learn more about her story and thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Thank you for joining us here, Suzanne, and welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you. Thank you for having me, Victor. Uh, I'm very well. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing very good. Thank you for asking. So you're out in, in France right now. I am. Um, but you actually grew up in Sweden, which is going to be very different than the North American experience of growing up. So tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up in Sweden. Growing up for me was uh, peaceful, is uh, the word I can use. Very middle class, very white. Nothing bad ever happened. Um no uh, bad things that was something you heard about in television lo far away uh, and you know, a very conform uh, society homogeneous society i was i was over over 25 when i met the first black person in real life wow you were over 25 years old before you ever saw yeah. someone that was black I had seen, well, meeting and talking to. I had obviously seen on television and in movies. Okay, so like like real-life interaction then. So Real-life interaction, talking to someone, yeah. 25 years old, wow. And was that locally or was that, um, you know, somewhere else? Like, how did that come about? Uh, well, I was at a conference. I was a PhD student. So actually, I was closer to 30 uh, now when I'm thinking about it. So it, it was a, a conference, uh, American uh, Society for Mechanical Engineering Turb Machinery Ex Exposition, uh, world's largest, I think, on turb machines. Yeah, and I bumped into a guy and he started talking to me because he knew my professor. So, um, and, uh, and that was, uh, it was uh, interesting because my first thought when he started talking to me was, Wow, he's sounding lost, just like Eddie Murphy. I thought it was just in movies <laughs> that people talk like that. 
Right, because that that would be your your whole context, right? Of like how yeah. um, black people sort of looked, how they spoke, because you'd never seen one in real life, just yeah. on what you saw in the movies. Yes, that's so interesting. Did he look like Eddie Murphy? No. Okay, <laughs> I had to ask. I had to ask. But so you you met this gentleman. Um, it was your first interaction. Do you remember? And I mean, it was a while ago, but do you remember sort of? what you took away from that being it having it be your first experience not more than that i was astonished that people actually talked like eddie murphy uh, <laughs> it was quite a short discussion we had and i mean we we were talking technology and and basically if you are in aerospace technology uh, if you're interested in the same subject then then you're you belong together so there was never anything like he he was strange or anything like that, other than the Eddie Murphy thing. You know, I love that you what you just said about that is that if you are in aerospace technology, you belong together. And I think that, you know, I've always said this, if we can find our commonalities yeah. instead of our differences, you know, we can find that common ground to create human connection. Because at the end of the day, I'm sure you had a wonderful conversation and you know, it was around some of the work that you were both interested in at the time. Yeah. I'm sure some some regards to your pr professor because that was the mutual contact. Yeah. But at the end of the day, other than him sounding different and maybe looking different than what you're normally used to, you actually had someone that you could connect with. Yeah. On a subject. Yes. That's really beautiful. And I mean, typically speaking, in my experience, I think engineer aerospace very male dominated what inspired you to pursue a career in stem as a female um i kind of was born with it uh, my father was an engineer he's retired uh, my mother uh, was a secretary he's, she's also retired she was a secretary at the technical faculty at my home university so i was steeped in it uh, i did have a moment in my life when i wanted to be a vet uh, I talked myself out of that fairly quickly because I happen to be allergic to animals, uh, fur-coated animals, so that's that's not really practical to be a vet. Uh, apart from that, it, there was never any doubt. I, I wasn't even thinking, should I become an engineer or should I become something else? I, I, technical faculty, I applied for all the sections of the technical faculty, I joined mechanical engineering, loved it from the first moment. Uh, so it was it was something natural for me, I think. Never any question. And I mean, I did I did do things already as a little girl. I had, I was hanging around my father when he was repairing his car. Uh, I constructed my own bookcase when I was I think I was in junior high. I needed a bookcase for my school books. I made the drawing. My dad gave it to my grandfather, who was a carpenter, and he built me a bookcase. I still have it. He built you a bookcase that you still have till today from junior high. Yes. That's amazing. So, A, that tells me that your structural design was sound because it still lasts today. And that your I did grandfather have some help has from dad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you had some help from dad. But also, your grandfather was uh, an expert craftsman, right? I yeah. think that. You know, something that stands today that has been made many generations ago is, is something that's rare. 
Um, you're coming from Sweden. I know that Ikea also headquartered in Sweden, very much a fast um, yeah. furniture company, very quick. Um, and, and, you know, maybe the quality not being the same as that craftsmanship that your grandfather put in. But my family is actually um, in the architecture and construction uh, sort of things. And, you know, I, I know how important it is to have quality craftsmanship. And that's amazing. So you created a drawing. Hand it off to your dad. He hands it off to your grandfather. You build this bookcase. You still have it today. Yeah. And you've done a lot of work in this space. I mean, you've won awards um, for your work. You've also got an MBA. So you've got a lot of education. What made you pursue that MBA? Well, I was at a, at a point a few years ago in my career where I felt I was stalling. Uh, I like to learn new things. I like to work with new things. And um, it felt, you know, I, I was ready to do new things. Uh, and uh, I had always been dreaming about doing an MBA as well. And when I first started engineering school, I was thinking of doing a double degree. We had the economical faculty just next door to the mechanical engineering faculty. So I actually was over and asked them a, a bit about their, uh, their education. Uh, I didn't get around to, I, I I didn't like, basically, I didn't like the lady I was talking to, so I didn't pursue it any further. And there were so much interesting things to do in the mechanical engineering faculty. I actually ended up doing more courses than I needed. So I almost, almost took two masters while I was at it. And then I was invited to do a, a PhD. Uh, and then I was invited to do a postdoc at Imperial College in London. And and so the, the the dream about an MBA kind of disappeared in in everything else new and exciting I was doing. Uh, so, but at this moment when I felt that you know, I was stalling, I wanted to try something new. I wanted to develop. I I went back to this old dream and and decided I, I'm at least going to have a go. I'm at least going to apply and see if I get in. And you did, and you got, and I got it. In. Yeah, <laughs> and I, think I got in. I managed to do it within the prescribed time, two years, for a distance learning MBA. And I even got the distinction. Wow. That's impressive. That's very impressive. And I think yeah. that constantly learning is something that is very underrated in today's society. Most people leave and they don't want to learn or grow or change. Um, but, you know, it seems that you're constantly chasing that, which is amazing. Now, there's something that happens... Um, when you are different in an industry. So for example, you being a female in, in more of a male dominated industry, at what point did you start to realize how difficult it was for females in the workplace and, and maybe even some other minorities around you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean that, that actually happened during uh, my PhD studies because I was for a very long time, the only female in the group except for the secretaries. So everyone who came from outside of the department automatically thought I was the secretary. So I had to correct people all the time, uh, which, you know, was annoying, but not, no, not more than that. Um, the first thing I re it really hit me was when there was a, a position, a promotion open at the department. And my professor encouraged, we were two people who had passed our PhDs at the moment, at that time. 
they posted on the same day. And the other one, a guy, was encouraged to apply for this promotion uh, position. I was not even informed that it existed. And I got a bit upset. And uh, when, I, when I discussed that with, uh, when I mentioned this to my professor, his first reaction was surprise. And I realized that he had not even had the thought that I'm not going to ask Susanne to apply for this position because she's not good enough. He hadn't thought about me at all. Now, I'm not saying that I would have had this position, but I didn't even get the chance to have my qualifications judged because my manager, my professor, didn't even think about me. Wow. That's, you know, that's that's tough. That's that's very tough. And I mean, you know, it's a hit to confidence, yeah. right? Like, I mean, you've worked hard just like yeah. everyone else. You've got the credentials just like everyone else. Yet you weren't even a consideration, which is just a hard pill to swallow. A very hard pill to swallow. Yeah. So yeah. In, in the work world now, you 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 obviously get into organizations uh, where you've qualified based on your credentials as well as the interview process. You get in, you start working. Did you start to see it around you in the work world as well, where they had that sort of uh, difficulty for females to grow through the organizations? Yeah. Yes. I mean, I have been the only female in an organization where I felt that I belonged and where I actually was encouraged to improve myself and take on stretched assignments. I've also been a female in an organization where we were several females, all PhDs, uh, more, PH more female PhDs than male PhDs in the department, and yet the women stayed on the same level while the men, not all the men, but, you know, the ones who go forward were the white male, the majority, sort of the, the, the white male, the majority. So no black people, no Asian people, no, uh, no, no different people. And to try and have that discussion with an organization who claims that we are not discriminated against, while we, while we can show with salary development, um, career development, that there is a discrepancy. Uh, that is, you know, it's, it takes time. It's very annoying and very frustrating. Yeah, you know, you, you talk about something around disconnect, right? Perception versus reality. So the perception yeah. is that we are a an employer that is equal opportunity. We don't discriminate. But then you end up looking at the inner reality and you start to look at the data. Yeah. And the data suggests something very different. And usually that has to do with bias. Yes. And, you know, share with me your thoughts, because I know that you are, um, you know, a process excellence specialist. You really mm -hmm. look at data. You look for uh, improvement. How have you noticed um, that inner sort of reality versus the perception and, and how bias has affected sort of the ability to create change as well as create advancement for people of minorities or, or gender difference? Yeah. I mean, bias, bias works in three ways. You have, first of all, the expectations. So you have the fact that the minority person is expected to do... You, you don't want to tax the minority person. 
you don't give the minority person as big project as the majority person. Um, and that's, you know, already there you have, you work on a big project, you're more important than, uh, than if you work on a small project. And then the minority persons, they experience more resistance when they do their job, more questions about their competence, have to do the same job several times to, to prove themselves. And then thirdly, there is the, the bias that most people talk about, the, the judgment, the evaluation of, of the competence, where it has also been shown in, in lots of investigations that uh, lots of research that minority person, females, blacks, uh, foreign names are judged more harshly. Their qualifications are simply considered less than, than, um, than the majority person. And if you only look at the last part, the evaluation of competence, then you miss out two steps. And I'm especially annoyed by the, the middle one, the resistance. Because if you're asking, you don't tr trust minority persons, you're asking them to repeat their jobs, uh, prove themselves over and over again, it's time lost. And we talk about this as uh, we are missing out on ideas because we're not listening to minority persons. Uh, they are being demotivated, they might be leaving, we are, we're having retention costs. But losing time, any person in a company who is losing time means that the company is losing time. And if you look at it as a, as a process excellence or process improvement, uh, you have the lean uh, theory where you talk about waste. You have waiting time, you have doing the same job several times, etc., uh, uh, etc. Et and that's, that's waste. That's loss of time. And if you are a minority and you are you're considered less important, so you are asking for information, you have to wait a longer time, maybe you have to ask several times. That's loss, that's waiting time. Or you have to do the same investigation several times. That's doing the same thing several times. That's waste, that's loss. I, uh, I read an article a few couple of years ago from The Independent about, it was a man writing the article, he was working on a customer account together with a female colleague. And he sent off a proposal to a customer and got a very rude answer back. He was very surprised because he had never had any problems working with this customer. And he realized that he had signed off with his female colleague's signature, electronic signature. And so he sent the email again, the same email, but with his own signature, and got a completely different answer more positive one from the customer. And so they did an, an experiment, they, these two, they swapped signatures for a couple of weeks to see what happened. And suddenly he experienced his competence being questioned, being asked to do so, the same thing several times, being asked to do this, being asked to do that, never, never really getting through to the customer while she was sailing through Everything she proposed was approved. Very nice feedback from the customer, etc. And based on the numbers, the only thing they have changed was their signatures in their mails. And based on the numbers, 
that he said about how many projects she managed to finish during and and he managed to finish during this time i calculated that she lost 30% of her working time 30% wow. because of bias so 30% that is an enormous that's that's huge. That's huge. That productivity. I mean, you're saying that if a person works five days that week, that you're literally taking away a day and a half of working time. Yeah. yeah. In waste. Yeah. And I have seen it in I have seen it in our organizations also where once I was leading an, an investigation where we had a team of female uh, material analysis and experts. They did their investigation. Uh, presented it to the group where the male parts or certain males very aggressively questioned the results. And the end was that they redid the investigation, got exactly the same answer. Uh, that took two weeks. Now, when you do an investigation of a problem, you're supposed to have open discussions about the results. That that's To have a discussion of the results is not a problem, but it was you know, made in what I felt was very aggressive and basically forcing the investigation to be done again. So two weeks, we were four females on the project. So that's two person months. If you just count the females, we lost the company lost two person months on that because I was waiting. So that's time loss, according to Lean. And the others were doing the investigation again. So that's doing the same job a second time. That's, uh, that's a loss. So only for our four uh, persons, you can say that we lost two weeks of our lives. We lost the opportunity to advance, but the company lost. The company lost our salary for that time. Wow. So that's the direct business cost. That is the direct business cost. And not many people think about it like that. Well, I mean, there's in this industry that, you know, everyone's talking about what is the business cost of diversity? What is the business case of diversity? What is the... And we just talked yeah. about it here today is that, listen, you know, this bias towards yeah. competency of females in two specific situations has cost these two separate companies times. And I'm sure these are just two instances we know of. There are thousands and, yeah. and millions of cases that we've never heard of. But, you know, people are frustrated. People are very frustrated. Yeah. You know, as a take, go ahead. Sorry. You, you can take a stupid, stupid example uh, you have a colleague who comes from a different country who doesn't speak your language perfectly. And every time he's saying something, uh, someone is making fun of his or her way of saying things. And so they have to repeat it. That might take, you know, a second every time you're talking. But, you know, it adds up. If that happens over and over again, then, you know, we have a saying in Sweden that says many little streams become a big river. I love that saying. So many small seconds lost for, for that. And I mean, I have had in France, I have had people, you know, mocking the way I'm saying things and forcing me to repeat what I'm saying. Uh, so and that's that's also a loss of time. You know, it's interesting that you talk about the uh, way people speak, because it's something that I've had to do myself in terms of <laughs> anglicizing the way I speak when I'm communicating versus you know, I'm from the Caribbean countries and I'm able to speak in a, a dialect that's, uh, you know, maybe broken English or Patois. But when utilizing that in a work setting, 
um, you don't get respect, right? You're almost like, uh, you are, um, your difference is just so glaring that you don't even have the respect or you cannot be considered competent because you speak in a different language. Yeah. And I was actually just having this conversation yeah. over lunch where there's another gentleman who has a very strong and thick Caribbean accent and very brilliant individual, but you know, a lot of times dismissed at work because of the fact that people maybe can't understand him or aren't taking the time to understand what he's bringing to the table. However, the people that can understand him believe him to be brilliant because of the things that he's proposing. However, once again, bias causing people to lose time, yeah. great ideas, uh, really good people. And over time can be frustrating for the individual. Yeah. And I mean, we, we, I see it at home also because my, my husband is French. He, he also has a PhD in mechanical engineering. Uh, when we go to Sweden, he speaks Swedish, but not perfectly. And there are people who are treating him like an idiot when we come to Sweden. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, we're facing very similar problems, even though we're on a different part of the world, <laughs> pretty much. Right. And, yes. and I mean, and that's why I say like there needs to be a really global perspective in this issue, because a lot of times we look at things just in our own personal bubble. But realistically, this is a very large problem with a lot of um, people on the receiving end of some of these um, issues. And, you know, we talked about majority and minority and, um, you know, gender equality, racial equality, inclusion for people of all abilities, sexual orientations. There's so such a broad conversation here. But, you know, yeah. here are two respected PhDs um, who, you know, doesn't matter where they are, can be looked upon as, as being less than, right? And I think it's yeah. about being more inclusive, more understanding, having that, you know, dignity and respect for other individuals even though they may be different, right? I think that's really important. Yeah. As someone who's very process-driven, what are some ways that you think maybe employers can build more equitable infrastructures within their organization? Like, what are your yeah. thoughts? Well, I, I, um, I think one, one way that it has to be done is to quote people in, quote minority people in. Um, not, not because, not to... A, appoint people who are not competent, but to force the organization to look at the competence of the people they don't normally look at. As the example I said with my professor who didn't even think about me when he was thinking about someone to propose for this promotion. Uh, that that is, would be the effect of quotation. I mean, people usually think of I didn't like quoting people in before either because I said we are all equal. We should be we should be entered on our competencies. But seeing that you know how people get less chances to to improve their competencies uh, for minority people and also do not even get considered for promotions made me think that we have to quote people in at least to make sure that. You look at the people around so that you really look at people's competencies and that you do it as much as you can in an objective way. Because bias works on the subjectives. As soon as you are subjective, for example, 
I, I like this. This person makes me feel good. I like, I like this person. It's your bias talking. So if you are a manager and you are like leaning towards one person because you feel that, that per you understand that person, you feel that person understands you, it's your bias talking. And quite likely that person is the same as you. So if you are a, <clears throat> sorry, if you are a white guy, the person you prefer is a white guy. And it can lead to you not even considering the other pe people around. So if you are forced to quote, then you are forced to look at the uh, qualifications uh, of the other people. And then we also should ask ourselves the questions or companies should ask themselves the question, okay, so we do not have any minority person qualified because that is the typical answer. We are not promoting females, blacks, uh, foreigners, because they are not competent enough. Then the next question is, well, what do we need to do to make sure they are competent? Because in theory, we should all increase our competence in the same you know, average. If we are talking about the average person, should increase their competence in the same way. And if you see that there is a discrepancy, then there is a problem. And again, uh, Six Sigma, uh, process excellence, you have two processes. One works better than the other, while in theory they should work the same. You make a gap analysis. You see what you need to do to bring the lagging process up to the, to the upper, to the gold standard one. You don't drag down the upper process. You lift the the other one the lagging the lagging so when you lift yeah when you lift the lagging so what you're basically saying then is a, as an opportunity is to say hey we know that we have minorities and and folks and maybe some of the uh lower level if you will positions how do we build their competency so that they could take on more responsibility be uh able to manage some of the larger more complex projects and and be able to create those opportunities within your organization for advancement of of minorities and people of color and 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 people who are are different than the the yeah. majority. Is that correct? Am I am I understanding yes. that correctly? Yeah, yeah, that's what we have to do, and also give people the same support uh, because people don't think about it. But if you start really looking, you see the majority people they get the positions that stretches them. And they get support to handle it as well. And we don't think about it because it's normal. But as soon as we are talking about giving the same opportunities and the same support to minority people, then people are screaming about special treatment, etc. It's not special, special treatment. It's the same treatment. I don't think there is a single minority person who is asking to be better treated than the majority, but asking to be treated the same. I love that. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed just in, in this work as well as uh, in organizations is that, you know, in a lot of respects, some of the support that is available is not enough to really help people to get to where they need to go. And, you know, there's yeah. a lot of talk around defunding police or defunding organizations or you know where do we put our dollars and cents but you know if you're not investing in your people which happen no. to be your greatest asset you know 
um, arguably mm. speaking, at least for myself, then you really um, you've done yourself a disservice, right? And you've created a, yes. a, 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 a weakening culture as well as an organization that is not as resilient as it needs to be in this is in this very fast pace business environment that we live in in the 21st century right like yeah, things move yeah. very quickly what are the thoughts do you have um that you might be able to share because th- those were really two great insights that i think you know i believe in and i preach but you know it's it's wonderful to hear that other people believe in these same things is there anything else that you'd like to share maybe one other thought yeah well the, the, it, it goes back to you know, that that people often say, and you hear it from females also, I don't want a special treatment because I'm female. Uh, you have to think about the equity in diversity, inclusion, equity, and belonging. Equity is about making sure that you can reach the same levels, regardless of the road there. You know, you have this analogy with uh, diversity is that you're being uh, invited to the dance. Uh, inclusion is that you're actually asked to dance. Equity is about getting help to get to the dance, whether that is a long dirt road or a short motorway. You get help to get you you get to the dance. So if you're on a dirt road, you need a different kind of vehicle than if you go on a motorway. And then belonging, of course, that you feel part of the organization, that you feel that you belong and you can be yourself. And the equity bit there, people forget about that. The equity is about, you know, making sure if you want to have people of a certain competence, some people subconsciously have been given better support during their career than others. And and you, you, you make sure that all can reach that level. Absolutely. You know, one of the challenges that I've personally had in my career is, is, is getting some of that support. And it's because the people that could offer it maybe didn't look like me and maybe yeah. didn't want to share that support system with me. Um, yet it would w- go to colleagues or, or people that are different and, and people that I've met and, and, and all wonderful people, yes. but just maybe not the same level of support. There's something you said about belonging and, and I love that dance analogy. Um, where people want to feel welcome, you know, and I think that in organizations for them to thrive, you know, you need people who are going to spend probably the majority of their day working in that environment to feel uh, like they belong and they feel welcome and they feel included and they feel like this organization uh, has a culture of belonging and respect. So tell me a little bit more about sort of your experience um, belonging and, and, and maybe a time that you didn't belong where you, you were there and you knew without a shadow of a doubt, and you don't have to name any names, but you just did not belong. Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit sensitive, uh, sensitive issue, but, but yeah, when you, when you are in a, an organization and you feel that you're asking people for information you don't get it you have to chase them you are less important uh, other people seem to have information that you do not have uh, you can be working on project with people and after several months work you come up with something and then it turns out that the colleague you were working with he had the information all along 
th those those situations are are really uh, really upsetting, or that's that's when you really feel that you do not do not belong. And it goes right. I think that ties right back down to culture because you are yeah. working with these people and you're supposed to be collaborating and. Unfortunately, yeah. you feel like you're being sidelined in some respects, right? And it, yes. it can become yeah. very challenging. You've worked, I, I, I'm assuming a lot of your projects are, are, are collaborative, correct? Yes, yes. So, so in a collaborative environment, you're obviously talking to people of various different backgrounds. Even though your your disciplines are could be the same, they're from different, you talked about different countries, and I'm sure you have colleagues from all around the world because yeah, usually yeah. with some of the, the, the uh, I don't want to say challenges, probably not the right work, but some of the, the work that you do requires some of the best and brightest to come together and, and sort of put something together. How have you found um, it to work with people from diverse backgrounds and cultures and, and how to work together for the betterment of the the larger goal that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I I actually love working together with people who are different than me. Uh, part of it because I'm curious and I like to learn about their experiences, learn to know about them, their countries, their culture. Uh, and also because I am very much, I like to listen to different opinions. And I also firmly believe that if you work on something, you the the result is better if you are looking at it from different point of views. And I had this very, very uh, fun experience when I was a PhD student and I was working together with a colleague, also a PhD student, on a wind tunnel on a certain equipment that we used. And we were going to disassemble it and uh, move it and build it up again. And uh, we were, we, he was German, I'm Germanic, so we were functioning a bit in the same way. We looked at it, we thought about how we could do it, we decided on a way to disassemble this, uh, this, um, this equipment, and we went on, we started doing it. And it was, difficult we were struggling uh, but we continued and then uh, a bit in on the work there was a, an undergraduate student coming in to see what we were doing and he was looking at us for a while and then he said why don't you take the top off instead first and we, we were working on the sides um, and both of us we went well taking the side we taking the top off that's 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 yeah, why don't we take the top off first? And that turns out to be much easier. And you got a different perspective, right? And and someone who, yeah. and, you know, that is probably one of the greatest things that I personally think when it comes to looking at any problem. And I'm not educated. I'm a high school dropout. I uh, don't have formal education, but I've, I've spent a lot of time in, in sort of critical thinking and uh, looking at problems and solutions and how I've built my entrepreneurial career. But I think one of the greatest gifts that I've been able to have is to be able to look at things from different perspectives and know that I don't know it all. And how do I bring together people that have better insights, different yeah. insights that can challenge my thinking 
so that I know that at least what I'm doing has merit. And I think a lot of people believe that what they know to be true is true and that could it, it could never be wrong. Yeah. And, and a lot uh, of if people you also, a lot of people also meet, I mean, if you are looking to know different perspectives from people, then you're asking, then you are asking questions all the time. And it's unfortunate that you meet a lot of people who think that just because you're asking questions, you're stupid. You don't know what you're doing. And that is exaggerated. I mean, that's even more profound when you are a minority person. So that's another way where bias uh, works. I've never thought about it, but yes, I do ask a lot of questions and some people are like, why? And I'm just like, I'm a curious person, very inquisitive. I've always been that way. And it helps me to look at the world differently, right? I build a different lens in how I view things. And this is really what this show is about. And you've added so much tremendous value to our audience, just in the way you think, how you approach problems. And I mean, obviously a lot of that is driven through your education and, and, and the things that you look at through lean and six Sigma. But once again, it is a way that we need to learn to start to think, right? There's the learning and unlearning of, of what we know when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as our own biases and how they play out in, in our everyday situations. I've got a question that I've been asked. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. That's another thing that we have to do also as individuals work on your own bias. You have to realize uh, you are always biased. Uh, What you can do is to work on it and make sure that you find workarounds. I still remember when I realized for the first time that I was biased against female engineers. Because that was... uh, Sorry? Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, I was a PhD student. As I mentioned, I was for a very long time the only female in the department. And then one day I got a female colleague. And my first thought actually was, who is this weirdo? And, and then, then my next thought was, why do I think she's a weirdo? And that is when it hit me that I am thinking about her as, as if I'm a man, as if the, the men are the norm. So since that day, I have sort of actively worked on always encouraging females, always, you know, looking at their competences or doing my best. I'm still, I'm still today biased, less so, and I notice it more, but it's very, very difficult to get rid of. So, or you cannot get rid of it. So you have to learn to work, uh, work against it. Well, and, and I mean, that's where bias, you know, I've heard a lot about unconscious bias, but we talk a lot about bias awareness. And then, like yeah. you said, being able to manage your bias, because once again, there, there are things that you have learned for years, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's the way you view the world. They are sometimes inter- intergenerationally taught. Um, sometimes it is reinforced by your own personal experiences. And one of the things that you're constantly going to have to deal with as you move through this world is dealing with your own biases and how it affects your decision making i love how you said earlier too about being able to force the way you look at uh 
minority individuals because you may have a bias towards, for example, someone like myself who has no formal education. But if you get to speak to me and understand my experiences and what I've done, you might say, wow, this person would be way more qualified than the individual who has a couple of letters behind their name because this person actually has the experience. And that's about removing our own personal biases with respect to what we believe a person of education should have versus the value that individual could bring to the conversation or to the table. Right. So that's wonderful. Listen, I mean, we ask this question to everyone that comes on the show because we're really trying to help do this exact thing. But how do you think as a society, we can move closer to a culture of belonging and respect? Um, I I think that, uh, you know, several, several ways. I mean, what, what I said about quoting people in or quoting in a way that we force people to at least look at the the competences of of, uh, minorities, because the more minorities we get into a workplace, the more mixed we become and the more common it will become. So then suddenly minorities will not be strangers anymore. They will, will, will not be weird people. Uh, and then bias trading, I mean, giving people the chance to work on their bias, that's, that's not easy because it's not easy to accept that you have bias because it makes you feel like you're a bad person. You don't want to be biased. And uh, the thing we have to make people realize is that, you know, we are all biased because that's based on where we come from, our experiences, our cultures. Uh, what we know and it's it's not it doesn't make you a bad person but it you should it should make you think about your actions and then encouraging learning i mean i know that is difficult because it's it's work learning is work and a lot of people think that it's too much work um, personally i am the one who feel energized by learning new things um so that's it's not easy to make people learn, but uh, give people the the opportunity. I love that. That's a very comprehensive answer, and it gives us a couple different paths to look at. And I think that if we're going to make this society, these workplaces, a little bit more inclusive, have that culture of belonging and respect, and where people feel like they're treated like uh, with dignity, it's it's really important to implement not just one thing. There's there there's a whole bunch of ingredients that have to go into making yeah. this yes. uh, a reality. And I think that, you know, those thoughts were, were wonderful. Uh, lastly, where can people find you, Suzette? Where can people, if they wanted to uh, look you up, where would they go? Yeah, LinkedIn. I have a profile on LinkedIn and I'm happy to to chat with people who contact me uh, there. I believe I have put my email address also on LinkedIn. So um, emails are fine also. That's wonderful. And and I mean, I want to thank you so much for making the time. Uh, I know there's the time difference as well as you're a very busy person, but I appreciate you taking the time to share with us here today your truth as well as some conversation around how you feel as a process improvement specialist that we can start to look at some of these issues that exist within our society as well as in our workplaces. So there you have it, folks. The truth according to Suzanne Svensdotter. Thank you so much. Thank you, Victor. Great talking to you. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Our show is sponsored by Discourse. 
We build belonging into the DNA of DEI. You can visit us on the web at discourseagency.com or check out our YouTube channel, Discourse Agency. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, leave a review, drop a comment, and most importantly, share it with a fellow human. Thank you so much for your support. And remember, your truth is your experience. Bye for now.